Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. All right, so we are uh, continuing our series on uh, breaking the status quo, and um, and just so you all know, and I'm going to let your guests know that we're talking about sex and sexuality today. So you came on a great Sunday, okay. And, um, you know, what we're desiring in this area is to uh, realize that God desires for us to have a, he wants a God-given wholeness in this area. And last week, Kyle spoke, and let me just say this, if you weren't here and missed his message, or if you haven't watched it online, please do so. It was, a, it was an amazing, amazing job in this area. It's a very complicated area. It's a very difficult area. And some of you might remember that Kyle started off last week and gave us 17 different questions about sex and sexuality that he said I would answer today. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. So I've got the answers. You guys ready? All 17. Here we go. Connection, communication, very carefully, just about all. Shun isolation once in a while. Slowly, your identities in Christ, basketball, fear. A cold shower helps. Saturday mornings, it's uncomfortable, it's necessary. Gentle grace with understanding and sit with Jesus for a while. Okay, there you go. So you might look back and see possibly how those work. But I don't want to downplay those, those questions that Kyle brought up. Because it is, it's a very confusing area, it's a very difficult area to talk about, and at times we can just feel overwhelmed by this whole issue. So the image that came to my mind as I thought about this was, when I was about 11, and um, uh, that summer I'd learned how to body, you know, body surf and some stuff like that, and, and I had a raft that I used, and I loved going in the water, and so one day my family went to a, a friend of my dad's house, who they lived by the beach, and they, we all went to the beach together. And I had my raft. I think it was before boogie boards. So just to let you know how long ago this was. You remember having a raft? Yeah, okay. So I had a raft. And I had my raft with me, and I ran to the edge of the water, and I realized, wow, these waves are, are big. And I don't know how big they were, six feet, eight feet, something like that. And I thought, you know what? There's no way I, can, I can't ride, use my raft. So I took my raft back, dropped it off on my parents, and I ran back. But I think I can body surf these. So I go out into the water. And it didn't take too long before I realized, okay, this is bigger than I thought, and it was just one wave right after another. Bam, it would hit you. You know how you'd go down to the bottom, you'd dive under, you'd come up, take a breath. Oh, there's another wave coming. Oh, my goodness, got to go down, come back up. And it was just this feeling, all that. And then pretty soon, all of a sudden, there's a lifeguard next to me. And the lifeguard grabs me and says, what are you doing out here? I said, I'm body surfing. <laughs> he goes, you have fins on. I go, no, I don't need them. So he drag, grabs me, takes me in, takes me onto the beach. Uh, my dad's friend gave the lifeguard a six-pack of beer to save, for saving my life. <laughs> but that is what sexuality and sex can feel like today, is it's just one wave after another hitting us, especially for those of us who are in the church. It just feels like it is coming at us so quickly. Our culture is super sexualized, and we, whether we realize it or not, are being shaped by our culture because it's one wave right after another. I can still remember my first introduction to pornography. I was about 13 years old, 
I had a friend named Steve. Steve and I played baseball together. We went to school together. He lived not too far from my house. I could ride my bike over to his house. And uh, we'd go over there, and we'd play baseball out in the street together. We'd shoot hoops together and all that. The interesting thing about Steve that was different from a lot of my other friends was that Steve's parents were divorced. Most of my, parent, my friends, their parents were still together, but Steve's parents were divorced. He lived with his mom. And so he was there with his mom, and I have no idea why his dad did this, but his dad did. His dad gave his 13-year-old son a subscription to Playboy magazine. So it was fun to go play baseball at Steve's house, but it was also kind of fun to look at the Playboy magazines. And that was my introduction to sexuality. Just looking at those images. And some of those images, believe it or not, are still imprinted somewhere in my brain. But that is what our culture is all about. That we can be consumed. And and here's the thing. Now, all you need is a phone or a laptop. And our culture continues to just consume us with this contrived sexuality. So rather than trying to answer all of the questions that even Kyle brought up, because there's so many of them, what we are hoping to do in these two weeks is I want to build upon what Kyle spoke about last week, and we want to come up with some spiritual truths and practices that will help us navigate this really, really overwhelming topic. That's what we're hoping to do with all of these series, but especially these two. So last week, here's what Kyle, kind of his three main points, they're great that we have to normalize the conversation in the church around sex and sexuality. We have to look inward before we look outward to criticize others. And we have to remember Jesus's heart of compassion. Great, beautiful points about in this area. Normalize conversation, look inward before we look outward and remember Jesus's heart of compassion. So building upon that, I'm going to go back to a passage that he looked at in Genesis chapter 2, and and this is where the whole concept of sex and sexuality begins, and it begins with God. That's one of the most important things we have to remember is that he is the one that creates this. Adam and Eve are placed in the garden, and we get a sense from what we read in the beginning of Genesis that they are experiencing incredible intimacy with God and with each other. So God creates the woman. He brings her to Adam and says this. Then it goes like this in Genesis 2. The man said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Kyle talked about that word, one flesh, that it means this beautiful coming together uh, physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually, a total coming together of, of man and woman. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Okay, that last verse, man and wife were both naked and they felt no shame, is one of the most kind of titillating verses in the Bible. And you, know, you just have to imagine if people started reading in Genesis and got to that in page three or so of their Bible, they'd, they'd want to read the whole thing after that, right? They were both naked and felt no shame. It's a picture of deep intimacy. That this is what we are all desiring on the deepest level 
is to know one another and to be known. It's right there. Chapter 2, as the Bible starts. We want to know other people and we want to be known. It's intimacy is what we're looking for. So things change really quickly in the next chapter, chapter 3 of Genesis. Satan, in the form of a serpent, tempts the woman. God has set a boundary for the couple, saying you can eat of any tree in the garden except this one in the center. God sets boundaries for his people, and he sets them for our good. That's why he does this. He understands life. He knows how it is best lived. He sets boundaries for us as his creation. But the couple gives in to temptation, says that their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. Then verse eight of chapter three. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. That's again a picture of intimacy in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you were in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And then it's this really beautiful thing of just pointing blame everywhere. Well, it's the woman's fault that you gave me and she did this and that. It's just typical. But here's what you see in this in terms of sex and sexuality. Intimacy, as God has created it, has been replaced by fear and shame. Fear and shame now is what dominates. You see, Satan cannot create anything. You ever thought about this? There's there's not some sort of workshop somewhere where Satan and his demons are trying to create something new or something. They cannot create anything. All he can do is take what God has created and twist it and distort it in such a way that what God created for good is now turned into a tool for pain and destruction. Satan can't create anything new. All he can do is take what God has created and twist it and distort it. In the scriptures, there's a really close tie between spirituality and sexuality. The pagan religions of the day often were known to have temple prostitutes. Paul dealt with this in in Corinth and in Ephesus and other places like that. It's such an intermingling of these things, of spirituality of of something having to do with God and and sexuality in a broken and distorted way. And so what God has created that is good and beautiful has now been distorted. And, And we have phrases now like this, sexual abuse, sex trafficking, abortion, pornography, gender confusion, adultery, divorce, homosexuality, market driven lust, body shaming, And all that God has created it for good, this is not God's original intent, for healthy sexuality. He wants people to flourish in this area and in all areas. So what we need in all areas of life, but especially today we're talking about this in terms of sex and sexuality, is that we need to experience the power of the gospel in our lives. 
You might remember, before we started talking about breaking the status quo, and, and we talked about money and materialism, we talked about race, and now we're talking about sexuality. Before we talked about that series, we had a, a short series at the beginning on the power of the gospel. Because it is only through the power of the gospel that we can have any change in these areas that we're talking about. So just remind us of this is what the gospel is. It's the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And in the power of the gospel, we experience forgiveness, liberation, redemption, and Jesus' summons to experience community and mission in his kingdom. That this is what the gospel does for us. Brings about forgiveness in all these areas of brokenness that we may experience, in all the ways that, that our own sexuality has been twisted or distorted. We can experience God's forgiveness because of who he is. We can experience liberation, that the power of sin does not need to control us, that the, that the strategies of the evil one does not need to control us, that the, that the gospel can actually liberate us from that. And the gospel can bring redemption, can actually take the broken and painful parts of our life and make them new, make us clean, Give us hope to be redeemed by him. And then he calls us to experience community and mission in his kingdom, in this world. So ultimately, it's, it's called to follow after him, to learn how to live life as he lived it. That is the gospel. And that's the only thing that can bring change the only thing that's powerful enough to bring about redemption in our lives. So we want the gospel to interact in this really difficult, hard, shameful area of sexuality at times. And the gospel is what can bring change. Now, there's uh, certain ways, and Kyle touched on this last week, and I want to touch on it again. There's certain ways that our church and our culture has actually viewed sex and sexuality. And uh, a man named Christopher West in a book called Fill These Hearts uh, kind of compared the way we look at this as, to kind of three different ways of looking at food. And hopefully this will make a little bit of sense. The one way is what's called the starvation diet, where you reject any thoughts or feelings around sex. You want to have nothing to do with it. You avoid it at all costs. Honestly, throughout history, some of the greatest Christian theologians of all time like um, Origen and St. Augustine have written that saying having anything to do with sexuality is an obstacle to our relationship with God, that our bodies and pleasure and sexuality are seen as impediments to true spirituality. Instead of going back to Genesis and seeing ourselves as one who's been created by God with a body, with feelings, with sexual longings, which are good, Many Christians have said, just reject that. Just act like that isn't really a part of who you are. Kind of the purity culture of the late 90s and early 2000s. Don't even think about that stuff. Now, the problem, right? <laughs> Whenever you say, don't think about something, that's all you can think about. 
But that is often what the church has done. Just forget it, reject it. It's not there, it's bad, it's evil. No, right? Created by God, it's good. It's just been distorted. So the starvation diet. The second way that the culture ultimately looks at it is a fast food diet. Reduces our deepest longings and desire for intimacy just to our physical desires. If it feels good, do it. Get as much as you can. It's all about physical pleasure. Other people become objects from which we gain our own gratification. Sex, in essence, becomes our God. And it's what we chase after and desire more than anything. We're driven by our physical desires. This is the sexual revolution of the 1960s that now, through technology, has just increased in speed and appetite through things like Tinder and accessibility to porn and all that. It is just about get as much as you can, and who cares who you hurt in that in getting it. And as we know, fast food diets do not satisfy. They don't make you healthy. It's not as God has created us to be. So you've got starvation diet, you've got a fast food diet, and I hope I can make this next one make sense to us, but it is what is called the banquet. The banquet. We remember that we've been created for community and intimacy with one another, that sex and sexuality are a way which we experience intimacy. In fact, the best is that when the physical expression is an overflow of a deep heart and soul connection. It's like having a banquet, and it's not just about the physical act. Rich uh, Velodes, who wrote a book called uh, The Deeply, uh, what is it? Deeply Centered Life? I forget. I forgot it. Oh, well, whatever. He has in his book, uh, he has a subtopic in one of his chapters uh, that's called this. It is called um, Love Making Outside the Bedroom. Now, I know some of you right now are thinking, yeah, like in the living room, <laughs> in the kitchen, in that... And that's not what he means, okay? What he means is that our commitment to love one another is outside of the moment of sexual engagement, that that sex doesn't start actually when you take your clothes off. It starts in the morning when you put your clothes on and how you connect with that other person throughout the day and how you love that other person throughout the day. That that is ultimately what this is supposed to be that our sexual desires, when correctly ordered and expressed within the God-given boundaries, there's that word again, boundaries of life, bring us into union with God and into communion with each other. That that is why and how he has done this. So I want to kind of paint a picture of what this might look like, what a banquet would look like. So uh, back in, in in June, Nancy and I had a a coming into our 60th birthday party combined. I turned 60 right in the middle of COVID, so no celebration really. She turned 60 this last August, so we kind of split the difference. In in, uh, June, had a party. Her uh, sister and brother-in-law gave us a gift card to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Oh, my goodness. So we finally went two weeks ago is when we went to celebrate our birthdays finally. (laughs) And believe there's other things. We were going to do it, uh, never mind, but we did. 
So this is what I want you to imagine. Have anybody been to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse? A few of us have been. So it's just a beautiful steakhouse. You walk in, and the, the tablecloths are white. The, everything, the silverware is put beautifully. And I want you to imagine this with me. And here's how you, but we have to use our imagination even a little bit better or a little bit more, is to imagine this, that we're all there together. So the church rents out Ruth's Chris Steakhouse for a night, Okay. And we're having a banquet together. We're celebrating everybody who's volunteered in everything, anything that's gone on here at church, and we're just celebrating this, and we're all there together at this banquet, all right? So here's some things about that I, from that evening would be like. It's beautiful and special. Beautiful and special. God created life in such a way that we are desired to have friendships and relationships he created intimacy and sexuality, and it's beautiful. Your body matters. What you do with your body really matters. You ever thought about this? There's lots and lots of ways God could have created life. He could have created life in such a way that you, there's no way to communicate with one another. He could have created life that it, life just, who knows how kids would be born, but it didn't have to happen through sexuality but he has created it this way for us. And it is good. And it's special and it's beautiful. And it should be held in that high of regard. That's what it's like when you walk into Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. It is beautiful. And you know you're there for a special evening. The other thing that happens at a banquet is this. And I'll be wrapping up here quick. No one sits alone at a banquet. You're always sitting with other people at a banquet. So here's the thing. I didn't get married till I was 33. I developed intimacy through friendships in my 20s and early 30s. I had a group of guys who we met every Saturday morning. That was one of the answers to the questions in the beginning was a Saturday morning. I had a group of buddies that every Saturday morning we met together and shared life together, talked about what's going well, talked about where we're struggling, prayed for each other, encouraged each other. That is ultimately what intimacy is, is to know others and to be known. At a banquet, no one sits alone. You're always connected with other people. And then finally, the last thing about that is that the meal is only a part of the whole experience. Again, our culture has put so much emphasis on the physical act of sex that the right and good version of sex is a lifelong covenant of marriage which cultivates intimacy, which is a witness to the relationship of Jesus and the church. And within this God-given boundary, there is safety, confidence, and joy. That that's how he wants people to experience this beautiful gift that he's given. All right. I'll finish with this. Our hopes on Sundays is we are not going to be able to, in a message or anything like that, change what happened. What, what, happen, what will actually bring about change in this area for all of us is what happens the rest of the week. And we want to try and give you some thoughts on or practices. Here's things that you can do that will help you to experience all that God wants you to know. And the first thing is this. I would encourage you to develop spiritual friendships. Develop spiritual friendships. 
Now, if you are married, your spouse should be one of those spiritual friends. Now, some of you are married and your spouse isn't a follower of Jesus. On that, I would just say pray and, and live your life in such a way that they one day might come to know Jesus. But for husband and wife, you want to develop intimacy together. Uh, one thing I was talking to Nancy about in this recently, and she said, what I love is if we just sit together on the couch and we're watching a show together. So what that means is that I will be watching some Hallmark Christmas specials this time. <laughs> because she's watched a whole lot of football games with me. But just being close. Way too many couples spend their life isolated from one another. One's on their laptop doing this, another's on their phone over here doing this. There's times where we have to do that, but, but there has to be just a coming together, a connecting as spiritual friends and talking about what's God doing in your life. But for all of us, whether we're married, single, divorced, widowed, we all need spiritual friendship. We need others that can, we can connect with from time to time, that we can sit with, that we can go out to coffee with, we can have a meal with, and we can just share our lives with one another. I've talked about this in the past. It's as easy as three, two, one. Three people for two hours once a month. And you just get together and say, here's what's going on in my life. And you develop this intimacy and this ability to confess to one another, this ability to express forgiveness to each other. Develop these spiritual friendships. And then the second thing I'd encourage you to think about is to consistently, the consistent renewal of your mind. That, that we try to regulate what we allow to take root in our minds, that we be quick to recognize the dark sexual thoughts which the evil one and our world attempts to embed in our hearts and mind. Because we live in a fallen world, we cannot control the, what is broadcast to us, but we can influence what we allow to really connect deeply with us. And again, there's a strategy there's an evil one who wants to get our minds going in all sorts of different directions away from him. Uh, an example in my own life is my newsfeed. So, so we all know that all these companies, Google, MSN, whatever, they, they all have algorithms, and so they know you. So my algorithm on my MSN knows that I'm a, probably in my 60s, male, heterosexual, and I like to watch uh, grizzly bears uh, fight because so, I get all these grizzly bears fight. I don't, I don't know why, but they, I do. I get all these grizzly bear videos. I don't have no idea why, but okay. Um, I don't know why it happens, but here's the thing. It's, it's a, so it's a strategy. So on my news feed, I'll, Often, it'll be Kim Kardashian in a, in a bathing suit. Click here. Look at this. This happens over here. Click here and it. And can take my mind down these ways. So renewing your mind, here's what, I, here's what I've started to do. You just name it. You just name it. It pops up. I say this. Nice try, Satan. Not going to do it. You name it and just say no. You're renewing your mind. 
And then the last thing I will um, encourage us to do. So develop spiritual friendships. It's crucial. It's, that's what you can do between Monday and Saturday. You can start here on Sundays. Consistent renewal of your mind. Oh, not only do you have to say no to that stuff, you have to fill your mind with something right. And that's what Scripture's all about. That's what worship is about. That's why we meditate on Scripture. It's why we memorize Scripture, that we have something to fill our minds with that isn't garbage. And then the last thing, and and this helps us to really experience the grace of Jesus in our lives, the deep compassion of Jesus in our lives, is is a practice called Lectio Divina. What it means is sacred reading, that you read Scripture in such a way that it connects with you deeply, personally. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, he says, in our meditation, we ponder the chosen text on the strength of the promise that it has something utterly personal to say to us today and for our Christian life. That it has something utterly personal. That when we read scripture, it's not just something for us to understand, it's not something for us just to study, it's something that is utterly personal for you and I. So what I'm going to do here as we move into communion, and that's how we'll end here today, is by taking communion. And what a beautiful moment to take communion. Remember that it's the gospel that makes the difference. Is that I'm going to read uh, the encounter that Jesus has with the woman caught in adultery. And in a typical Lectio Divina, and you would read it probably three times or so, very slowly, where I'm just going to have time, I only have time really to read it once. But as I read it, just for today, I want you to imagine yourself as the woman and to imagine what the, the and experience the feelings that you would have. And imagine what you're feeling as you're brought in by the religious leaders and imagine what you're feeling as Jesus speaks his words to you. And we'll just let it sit for a bit and then we'll take communion together. So here's how this encounter goes. Again, just allow your imaginations to take these words. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up 
and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I want to invite you to a banquet where you can hear the gospel words of Jesus. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Words of forgiveness, liberation, and redemption. Words that give us a new chance, a new opportunity, a way of living life that causes us to experience joy and forgiveness. In a moment here, I'll invite you to come forward to take the bread and the juice. The way it'll work is there'll be an elder standing up here, and the elder will hand you a piece of bread. They'll have gloves on. And then you'll just take one of the cups of juice and then go back to your seat and sit for a moment. But what I would like you to do as we do this today is to imagine that you are at a banquet. What's that banquet like for you with Jesus? What's the banquet like with with friends and with family? That Jesus is inviting you to a banquet. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his friends, and at the end of the meal, he, he took some bread and he, and he broke it. And he said, uh, this is my body, which is broken for you. Same way at the end, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup in the new covenant of blood, which is shed for you, take and drink. He says, often as you, you eat this bread and you, and you drink this cup, you remember me. You remember what I've done for you. You remember the summons that I have on your life to be one of his. Let me pray for us. So Lord, use this, um, use this bread and this juice and may it remind us of the banquet that you've invited us to, the life you have invited us to, the deep joy you want us to experience in life, the forgiveness you want us to know, the intimacy you want us to know with you and with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.